0: From the EPR Creations studio, this is Jason Staples, bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. All right, here we are for the first postseason game. We're going to be previewing the Florida State-Louisville game. And boy, is this going to be an interesting one for all sorts of reasons. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of intrigue coming into this one. Obviously, a lot of people talking about uh, Florida State. Needing to be impressive in this one to uh, to warrant making the college football playoff, whatever. First of all, that's nonsense. If they win the football game, they're going to be in the playoff. So let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. Stop paying attention to the uh, the the hype stuff that and all the the clickbait that's out there about about all this. If they are thirteen and zero and a power five conference champion, they're going to be in the playoff, and they're going to be people upset about it. But they're going to be in the playoff. Uh, I, I do find it interesting, by the way, that you get people that are comparing this Florida State team to last year's TCU team, which, first of all, is not an appropriate comparison because that TCU team won a bunch of single score games. Florida State's played in three, three one score games. And, you know, a couple of them have not been fully that close. Like that Boston College game, Florida State was up 31 to 10. And, you know. Anyway, that Miami game, yeah, one score game, sure. But was that really a game that was in danger? Not really, not really. Miami of Florida was not in position to win that game. So that's for number one. Number two is uh, TCU had a ton of turnover luck all season last year. Florida State has not had a bunch of that this year. Uh, And then number three, even if they were comparable to TCU, what I don't understand is, people are saying that, but TCU won their semifinal game last year. If anybody didn't belong, if TCU didn't belong, then it's Michigan that didn't belong even more because TCU beat that Michigan team. Everybody wants to talk about TCU getting waxed in the national title game. And yeah, they were outclassed, but they won their semifinal game. That is what it is. So, and and that's entirely possible. That could happen to, you know, several of the teams in this year's uh, in contention this year, that could potentially win a playoff game and then get waxed in the in the title game with the wrong matchup. And there are definitely some teams that I think Florida State matches up better with than others coming in. So, uh, so yeah. In any case, that's all premature because Florida State's going to have to beat a pretty good Louisville team, uh, a ten and two Louisville team that needed to turn the ball over a few times and and give up a kick return to lose a game against uh, Kentucky last week. But yeah, I mean. They've been a good good football team all year, but they were minus two in that game, plus a kickoff return for a touchdown and only lost by one score. This is a good football team. And it's a very well-coached football team. Uh, many of you re- will remember, those of you who have been longtime listeners of this show, that when Florida State was hiring back in 2018, the coach that I wanted them to hire was Jeff Brom. That's the guy that I, th- I thought above everybody else at that point. In terms of offensive mind, I think he's a top three, top four uh, offensive mind in college football. What I said then is he's basically Bobby Petrino, but without all the off-field baggage that you take on when you bring in a Bobby Petrino. He's that kind of offensive wizard. And now he's at, at Louisville. And you can see the difference between last year at Satterfield and this year with Braum. This guy, when when he calls plays, his teams tend to score a lot of points. He's also a guy that has pulled off a bunch of upsets. At Purdue, he was a giant killer. He, he beat Ohio State more than once. He consistently found ways to be a problem for Ohio State, for Penn State, for Michigan. Uh, all, all sorts of upsets in this guy's background. This year, again, Notre Dame, big upset in that one. and They, they came out and they took it right to Notre Dame in that game. So, really well-coached team one of the best play callers in the game, one of the best offensive minds in the game, and a team that is well-equipped in a lot of areas to be a problem for Florida State. So let's get to it. So first of all, starting with Louisville on offense and Florida State on defense, as I've done pretty much all year on these, a few things. Uh, first of all, Louisville is a, they're really a big play running game. They're a little bit more boom and bust than they are consistent in that respect, but they've got a couple running backs that can, that can really fly. I mean, Jawar Jordan, especially early in the year, he's a guy that if he gets off and running, he's, he's going to run away from you. He's got a couple 70-yard runs on the season. He's, uh, I think he's over 1,000 yards now. I haven't, I didn't look at that, uh, at those numbers, but I, I think he was actually comfortably over 1,000, close to 1,100, to 1, if I remember right, looking it up right now. Uh, yeah, 100, uh, 167 carries for 1,076 yards, 6.4 yards per carry. It's a very healthy average. He's a good football player. Now, he's not been as efficient or as effective of late. So you look at his 100-yard games. He, he had 96 against Georgia Tech in the opener, 135 against Murray State, 113 at, uh, against Indiana, 134 against Boston College. So that first month, he was averaging over 100 yards per per game. Then 32 against NC State, where they bottled him up pretty good. That's a very good NC State defense. 143 against Notre Dame, including a couple big runs. And then he got hurt. Two carries against Pitt, 163 yards against Duke and then over the last month, 57, 95, 33 and 67 and he's not been tearing off the same kind of runs that he was early in the year. Now that's against Virginia Tech, Virginia, Miami and Kentucky, so some teams that are, you know, not not bad in terms of the their uh overall front, but I think he's just a little bit dinged up, uh, compared to what he was earlier in the year. If you look at the, uh, overall production, it's dipped just a little bit, but he is still a threat to go anytime he touches it. So you got to be aware of that. Uh, the other thing is they've got more than just him. There are several backs on that team that are quality backs. You know, Isaac Garendo looked very good against Miami and he's averaging six yards a carry as well. So yeah, I mean, even Maurice Turner is another nice, nice piece as a sophomore. They've got some players that can that can tote the rock, and they will run it with some patience. They're pretty consistent in sticking with it. That's one of the things about your good play callers is they don't get impatient, and they they identify what kind of run concepts they want to run. They identify who they want to get matchups on, and they're going to stick with it until something busts, till something hits. And you know their primary concept. They're mostly a stretch stretch run team, so they're going to run a lot of outside zone. Uh, they're going to use jet action and other things to add eye candy to it. Some they'll use some some uh, uh, some split zone off of that as well, but that's their primary thing. They're going to run a lot of stretch, and the thing about stretch teams, teams that run a lot of outside zone, is that sets up hard play action. And that's one of the things that makes it difficult is in the stretch game, you typically have to get your safeties involved because of how much the line of scrimmage moves. And then what they'll do is they'll manipulate those safeties. They'll get the matchup they want. And all of a sudden there's a guy running free over top, wide open on a post route. And you're like, how in the world is there nobody within five yards of that guy? It's just, it's what happens when you play against, against a Jeff Braum offense. It's very much the same sort of stuff that you would see against Bobby Petrino and they block well, They're disciplined in how they block and they run a lot of concepts. So they they'll base out of that stretch running game out of that outside zone with some different eye candy. They'll have some reverse action off of it. They'll have, you know, some quarterback read game off of it, even though Plummer's not a huge threat in that respect. And then they'll run some counter. I mean, they hit counter really nicely against Miami for a score. So they'll do some some gap stuff, but they are primarily a zone team, primarily stretch stuff. And. What they're going to do, they're going to try to get that edge. If they can't get that edge, then they're going to try to create a seam and cut back. And it's a very heavy cutback run game. And if they, if you are not really disciplined in your fits and in your backside staying where they need to be and, and, and making sure that they close down that space, all of a sudden you're going to have a very fast back cutting back through the teeth of your defense. And he's going to erase some angles and, and essentially avoid some tackles just for speed. That's the scary thing about playing them in their in their running game is that they'll go two yards, two yards, one yard, seven yards, 30 yards, 70 yards. That's that's what they'll do. And so Florida State's going to have to control the line of scrimmage without getting washed, without guys getting too aggressive and upfield on some of that. And then make sure that they tackle securely and, and come downhill securely. With the front. And the problem is, again, what they will do is they will find ways to score points on play action. If you can't stop their running game on first down, all of a sudden that opens everything up for them. They will score points on you in bunches if they can get leverage and go hard play action on you. If they can force those safeties to step up, if they can start manipulating your safeties at all with the running game, you're in trouble. So to me, one of the keys of this game is if Florida State's defensive line can control the line of scrimmage the way that they did against Florida. If FSU controls the line of scrimmage and can stop the run primarily with the defensive line without the safeties having really to get involved, then I think we'll start to see this game change a little bit. And I think you'll see Louisville turn it over a couple times. We'll return to that in a moment. Now, as far as the passing game, like I said, they want to go run, run, hard play action. And play action, you and get big plays down the field. And most of their big plays are going to come in the middle of the field. They they like to go on uh on deep posts, they'll run some post climbs, some over routes, some drive concepts and things like that, but they they like to do a lot of their damage in the in the intermediate and deep middle rather than on the outside. They're not going to throw they're not going to run by you on the outside as much. They do have some speed, but they don't do as much with just straight go routes. They don't have a bunch of size out there. What they will do is they will scheme those guys open and they'll have them wide open on digs, posts, drive routes, over routes, climbs, different things like that. So the thing is, Plummer is a guy uh, who can make all the throws and he's a guy that understands Brahms' scheme really well. And so Brahms will scheme open receivers and Plummer can make all those throws. Now, he's not, you know, the most athletic guy in the world. He's, he does, He's not an NFL guy as far as I can, you know, as far as I would grade him out. It's a guy that probably get a look, maybe a cup of coffee at that level, but I don't, you know, he's not a, not a starter, not a, not a high draft pick type guy, but he is a guy that can make the throws. So you have to pay attention to him. Now, what I kind of expect from them, given Florida state's defense and where some of the weaknesses lie, if I'm Jeff Brom and I understand Jeff Brom's system, I'm expecting them to run a good amount of trips. And then do some Mills type concept with them where they'll use the number two and number three wide receivers in a Mills type concept where you're going to go dig from the inside guy and a post over the top from the outside guy and do that with the number with the guy who's the number two slot receiver. So in just the one inside the outside guy and trips, and then the third slot receiver, the guy that's number three, who's closest to the offensive tackle, he'll have more of a dig or some sort of in in breaking route or some sort of seam to, to occupy that safety. And then they'll try to get a one on one with an inside coverage player on a deep post. So you'll see like Jerry and Jones, Or ideally, what they'll want to do is get like a Kevin Knowles or a uh, an Akeem Dent or, uh, you know, a uh, Shaheen Brown, one of those guys. They're going to try to get one of those guys isolated on that post while taking the other safety out of play. And they'll try to get that into a into a post route. And then if, if that doesn't work, they'll have some sort of comeback or some sort of little stick route on the outside that they'll that they'll come to as the as the check down. They will also go with some quad concepts. That's one of the things that Braum will do that not many offenses will. They'll they'll line up in quads. They'll go empty quads with a single receiver to the or even a nub to the uh to the to the short side of the field. They do a lot of different stuff, and you have to know your you have to know what you're facing in terms of formation. They, I mean, against Miami, they went tackle eligible for a key touchdown. You, you really have to know your formations. You have to know who's eligible. You have to know who's where. And you have to know all of your rules so that you don't get stuck leaving a guy open just by the design of your defense. And I think some of the other stuff that you'll see, you'll see some switch con- a lot of switch concepts. They're going to try to uh, use a lot of rub-type action. You'll see tight bunch. They'll, they'll even go quad formation into the boundary, again, to cause some problems. Uh, you're going to see some trick plays. Uh, one of the things that they also do, they'll do a lot of follow type concepts where they'll run people off within a zone, within specific zones. So if they know that you like to match to specific zones. So if you run like a cover seven type concept, like Florida state does, they'll know that number one is going to take the clear out is going to take the vertical. Number two is going to be you know, walled and then responsible, you know, you're going to have a guy wall number two from that side. And then the safety is going to be responsible. And what they'll do is they'll sneak, say, a third guy across the formation underneath the offensive line out into the flat because they know that that linebacker is going to wall with the number two. And if he's not aware that the number three has sneaked after the snap across the field, all of a sudden they've got a wide open guy in the flat. It's stuff like that they'll do, or they'll run one guy on a post and another guy will sort of run a wheel type thing. And then he'll actually come in and follow behind the post. Why? Because the the post is going to vacate that area. And now you've got a guy that's wide open there. These are, these are things that violate your normal coverage rules and they will manipulate those coverage rules and find ways to get guys open. It's frustrating to play against, but it's really, really good. (laughs) Now, their offensive line, decent, but they did lose a starting guard at Pitt, and they've not, in my view, faced a defensive line quite as good or athletic or certainly as deep as Florida State's. The, the best defensive front that they faced in, in NC State gave them a lot of trouble, but that's a very different kind of scheme, different kind of system. They run a 3-3 stack and, you know, very active up front, but a lot of the damage is done by those backers and, you know, just causing confusion up front. Florida State's going to have to whip them. Now, I think there's some possibility that they might be able to do that. I think this is one of those areas where I'm going to be really interested to see early in the game. Against Florida, it was clear on the first drive, even though Florida moved the football, it was clear Florida State kicked their tail up front on the first drive and on the second drive. And you going, look, they managed to get some drives here, but it's been with smoke and mirrors, and they're getting their butts kicked up front. Eventually, the, the worm's going to turn here, and it did. I want to see if it looks like that early. That's one of the things where first five minutes... Can Flo- can Louisville block Florida State's front? That's my that's one of my first questions. Now, the rest of the passing game in terms of what they bring bring to the table, Jamari Thrash 6'1", 180, one one eighty. He's been their big play guy. Uh, he's been one of the best big play guys in the country. He's got a left hand injury, so he's not been quite as high a usage rate lately. But he's a guy. If he gets his hands on it, he can make a big play, and he can fly. Now, I think you can bully him a little bit at the at the line of scrimmage. I think that's true, actually, for several of their receivers. I mean, they're not the biggest group. Their top three receivers, well, four of their top, three of their top four receivers, Amari Huggins-Bruce, 5'11", 170, Kevin Coleman, who Florida State fans will remember for recruiting, 5'11", 180, and then they've got two other bigger guys, Chris Bell, who's, what, 6'2", 220-ish, and then Jimmy Calloway, a transfer from Tennessee, another guy that's about 6'2". I don't think either of those guys is especially quick. They're more uh, possession-type guys. But they're, you know, their main guys are guys that I think you have to press. I think you want to make them uncomfortable, take away space from those guys. And to me, the way that you play this team, first of all, Plummer has shown in multiple games that he will turn it over if they don't, if they're not throwing with leverage and throwing when they want to throw it, if you're forcing them to throw it when they have to throw it and then you get some pressure on him, he will throw the football to the other team, he will fumble the ball. You know, he's got several fumbles on the year as he's trying to escape or whatever. His ball security is, is an issue. This is a, This is a week where you really want to emphasize to your defensive line, go after that football. Cause he will drop it. If, if you, if you get in his vicinity, if you can get, get around it, he's got a chance of putting that ball on the ground. You got to let your guys know that it's an, a point of emphasis this week. And he will turn it over. If you can get them off schedule, out of leverage a little bit and start taking away some of the stuff that they want to do on their, on their terms that can change the game. But to me, the key here, this is a game in terms of the safeties and the middle of the field and all of that. This is a game to play pretty conservative. This is a game. Actually, I like a lot of rotate to single high because of how much they like to do in the middle of the field. Don't let them have that, those deep posts. To me, this is a game where you play a little bit conservative with your safeties, but you get after the wide receivers with physical press coverage with your corners. To me, you get aggressive and you, first of all, you want to take away inside access, force outside throws. I don't think Plummer is as comfortable throwing it to the outside as the inside, and actually I'm pulling up uh, his chart here. Okay, this is actually really interesting. If you look at Plummer's numbers on the year, it is true. Most of his damage is done in the middle of the field, and oh, this is really interesting. So, if you look at his at his between the numbers number stats deep, he's ten of twenty four touchdowns, three interceptions, pretty good overall. What ninety five NFL uh, passer rating to the outside right? He's three of twenty for eighty three yards, one touchdown, two picks. Outside left, eight of sixteen, but three of twenty to the outside right. Right. So you want this guy to have to throw to the outside rather than between the numbers when he's pushing the ball downfield. Now, he's better intermediate to the outside. But again, I think you want to force him to throw against your corners, first of all, and second of all, against your corners when they have inside leverage. You want to force him to throw toward the outside of the field. And from some pressure, don't let him, don't let him break outside. He, he will do some things on the run uh, periodically. He's not a, not super good on, uh, as far as a scrambler, but he does, uh, throw it pretty well on the move. But to me, you get aggressive and you take away the double moves and the easy access releases with your, with your corners, but with deep safety support. If you can do that in this game, you can really have some, some, some more success. And the key there is, again, you've got to win up front. With your defensive line, you've got to win up front enough that you can play conservative with your safeties. That you can actually do some of those things while still getting aggressive with your corners. Because if you start having to do other things to stop their running game, that can change things. Now, once you get them off schedule a little bit, I think you can start to bring some blitzes against him. And, you know, I think he changes as as a player when that pressure starts to get on him on in true drop box, uh, drop back situations, speed up his process again, beat up those receivers and play with those safeties over the top. But you can bring some blitzes in those cases. Now, other things that they'll do, they'll, they will throw short to the perimeter. They'll throw a bunch to the backs. They're going to do a lot of those things to force you to make open field tackles against quick guys on the perimeter. And you gotta, you gotta get those guys on the ground. Now, in terms of what they've done all year, Louisville has tended to play games in the low 30s offensively. Now, against the best defenses they played, they scored 13 against NC State with 4.78 yards per play. That's the best defense they, they played. They scored 13. Now, they won that game 13 to 10, but they only scored 13 and only 4.78 yards per play. So, you know, they have been sort of put, put on clamp uh, a little bit, at least once this year. Now, they did score 33 against Notre Dame, which on the one hand sounds like they really had a good outing against a, a defense that is in the same, you know, talent tier and overall quality tier as Florida State. But again, they were only 5.16 yards per play. The key in that one is that Notre Dame turned the ball over five times, which is why Louisville was able to score 33 points. So to me, I look at this, I, I, after evaluating them, after watching them in, in multiple games, Getting a chance to evaluate what they do, those matchups. I think Florida State can hold Louisville to around five yards per play, just like what both NC State and Notre Dame did, especially late in the year. I think they're a little banged up at a couple of their key spots with their with their playmakers. and I think I think you know your magic number in this game is probably twenty four. If you don't turn it over a bunch, I think you can hold this team to about twenty four and and feel like you know feel like that's kind of the target for your offense. Now, the key to that is you can't give up cheapies. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. All right, now flipping over to the other side of the football, the Louisville defense against Florida State offense. Now, first thing to note about Louisville's defense is they get a ton of pressure. They're top five nationally in terms of overall pressure against the pass. They're, they're ahead of Florida State in that in that stat. In terms of how much they have pressured the passer, they pressured the passer a higher percentage of, of, of snaps, of passing snaps, than Florida State has. So you got to have some serious respect for what they're bringing to the table on their front in terms of, uh, of, of overall pass rush. And this, by the way, despite the fact that they don't actually blitz a bunch, they only blitz about a quarter of the time. I mean, they're in the bottom half of the country in overall blitz rate. which is a little surprising given how much pressure they get. Now, the other thing is that their time to pressure, how long it takes for them to get pressure, is also toward the bottom half of the country, although those numbers are usually so tight that it's a little bit deceptive. But they don't get immediate pressure as often as, as what you'd expect, given their overall pressure rate, which tells you that they have a lot of coverage pressures. And that does compute because they're pretty good in the secondary. Their two, two primary corners are really good. They're both NFL guys, in my opinion. So one is Quincy Riley, who's a Middle Tennessee State transfer, and he's been one of the best corners in the ACC all season. Uh, I think probably one of the four or five best corners in the ACC. And he's big. He's, he's about six foot and a half, maybe. You know, decent Decent size, can match up reasonably well. I mean, about as well as anybody's going to against Florida State's freaks in terms of length. And the other one is even bigger than him, Storm Duck. Uh, he's actually a North Carolina transfer, so I got a chance to scout him every year and look at him very closely the last couple of years. And he was a guy that had a great freshman season for North Carolina, then hurt his foot, broke his foot uh, beginning of his sophomore year and then never really returned to form and then transferred. And then this year he seems to have returned to form. So he's actually been pretty good and he's a big body guy. He's not the fastest guy in the world. He's a guy that you can run by if you get the right matchup on him. Uh, but he's a guy that actually, in a lot of ways, is a better matchup for Johnny Wilson or or a Keon Coleman type player, where he's going to be a big body. I mean, he's he's probably six two two ten, you know, two hundred and five pounds. He's a big guy, in terms of being able to match up with length and and frame. He's on the bigger side of corners in the country, and does a good job of using his body and and. and uh, playing with good leverage and and doing a great job of squeezing receivers and all of that. He's a good player. And those guys are, are going to give Florida State some challenges out there. And, you know, Louisville is going to depend on their corners being able to single cover Florida State. And I think that's the other thing that you have to look at in this game. FSU, the big advantage FSU has, the biggest ad- advantage FSU has, aside from their defensive line at this stage of the season, is you got the freaks out wide. And I think Louisville's probably got the two got the best set of corners Florida State has played outside of Clemson. Now, Clemson's corners were faster overall, but this this set of corners is a good set. They can play. Now the, the third corner is Jarvis Brownlee, who's returning from injury, played uh, about half the game last week. Uh, I, think, I expect to see him a bunch in, in this one. Uh, and I think Florida State fans know what to expect with him. And then the two safeties, free safety, Devin Neal. And then the strong safety is uh, Cameron Kelly, who's a UNC transfer as well. And I got a chance to break him down quite a bit. And if I'm going to target this defense... uh. I'm and I'm looking at this secondary. I'm going hard after those after those safeties. Particularly Cameron Kelly. He's a guy I want to isolate in the running game. He ta- he has historically taken some awful, some terrible angles against the run. And if you can isolate him, if you can find a way where okay, he you know, they like to align their front here against this formation, we can get this, if we can block this up, then he's going to be the the secondary support player here. If you can scheme it up a little bit and Mike Norvell does a great job with this. Alex Atkins does a great job with this of scheming stuff up to get the matchup that you want against the guy coming into a specific fit. The guy you want to match up with five, six, seven times as in his run fit is Cameron Kelly. That's number 11, their safety. If Florida State wins this game, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there will be a couple runs where you'll see Benson or Toafili or one of these guys where they will cut the ball back. They'll be in a one on one situation with number 11, who's going to wind up taking a little bit of a bad angle. They'll give him a little shimmy and he's going to be chasing from behind and you'll and he'll be looking at the brake lights of one of Florida State's backs as they as they take off. And it'll be because they managed to get exactly what I'm talking about. You get the formation to get that guy in the run fit right there. You block everybody else up, give your one-on-one to your back with that guy, and your back's going to win that. That's a guy I'm targeting in the running game. It's Cameron Kelly. I want to go hard after that guy. (laughs) So uh, Devin Neal is a good player against the run, but he's a guy that I want to go against in the passing game some. And by the way, Kelly will get nosy in the passing game, He'll jump some routes, he'll he'll get some interceptions, but he'll also give some stuff up over his head and he cannot single cover. So, we'll return to that in a moment, but that's how I'm I'm looking at this defense and I'm going I really want to target those inside guys a bunch. The rest of their defense, Ashton Gelati is a uh he's 6'3" 270 and if I had a, a all ACC ballot, he would be the edge choice opposite Jared Verse. He's been really good. He's been the best uh, producer of pressure uh, other than verse in the ACC this year. So guy you definitely have to worry about and a guy that again, six three two seventy. He's not small. He can handle, the, handle himself in the running game as well. They're linebackers, very active downhill. They come downhill hard and they're good against the run, but I, I do think they wear down over the course of the game. And I think you can get some big plays on them in the second half. So to me, the primary concern in this game is you have some very active defensive backs who can create turnovers, who are you know pretty good catching the football, pr- pretty solid at corner. Not going to just get uh, destroyed at corner the way that some of the teams you faced this year just can't handle the, the talent you've got at receiver at all. They're good at corner. They've got some guys that can get their hands on the football, and then they bring a lot of pressure in the in the uh, with that defensive line. So the concern there is you know, you can turn the football over against this team. If you don't, if you don't stay on schedule and you wind up in bad situations, they can get pressure, they can force bad decisions and you, they can get some turnovers on, you know, Tater Brock. So to me, um, if I'm Mike Norvell and I'm scheming this game up, a few things I'm looking at. Number one, my emphasis coming into this game is patience. Again, I think I can win this game with tw- with more than 24 points. This is a game where you play field position. You you expect to get some big plays in your running game that are gonna pop. You think you're gonna be able to scheme up a, a play or two downfield. You think you can you can scheme your way to 27 31 points. What you cannot do is take risks into into the teeth of that of that defense. If you fall behind schedule and the field position's not real good, be content running the football and punting. Play patient, hand the football off, use your running game. Now, in terms of the rest, you want to target the safeties and the linebackers in the passing game. So I do think you can take your one-on-ones outside at different points. I mean, look, you got the freaks. Those guys are going to win against NFL corners. So you got to give them one-on-one opportunities. But to me, this is a game where you can use the tight ends and running backs a good bit in this game. You can get over the top on the post climb and similar things as well. So you can force some of the same issues with the safeties here that they're going to try to get on your safeties. You try to do the same thing. You try to do post climb where you've got a guy coming across the field on an over or, you know, deep, uh, deep crossing route. And then you've got the deep post force those safeties in particular to do that. And the same thing that I said about going trips, I would love to see Keon Coleman at the number two wide receiver in this game, a bunch, some at the number three, like what you did against Florida, force them to cover him with their nickel guy or with their, with one of their safeties, maybe go, you know, an outside receiver, Johnny Wilson at the number two, Keon Coleman at the number three, and use those guys in coverage, force them to do some things with their number two and number three cover guys instead of with their outside corners. I think you can take advantage of the inside guys. I think you also can use some shallows and other similar concepts to get athletes the ball under the, the coverage. So linebackers and safeties, make those guys tackle, make them chase. Some of those guys at times have looked a little bit on the slow side to me. And again, I've watched Kelly and Duck and both of them are, are good players, but I think Duck is like a low four, six guy at corner and, Ke- and Kelly is, I think a high four, six guy. These are guys that if you get behind them, they're not catching you. I do think there's some opportunities for some RPO glance seam type stuff. uh, But depending on how they're they're playing it up front, that's not what I go to first. I also really like some opportunities here in uh, the mesh concept that Florida State runs with the running back rail. I think you can hit the rail up the sideline against this team and potentially for a really big one. So this is a game where, uh, especially with Toafili, with how he runs that rail route, don't be surprised to, to see Toa Fili on like a 60 yard rail route where he's coming out of the backfield and you see essentially a rub route rub concept with with a mesh concept uh, out of the backfield serving as a little bit of a pick play because they'll play some two man they'll play a, you know a decent amount of just general man coverage and they'll chase that rather than rather than uh, passing that off which means that those backers will get caught in coverage a decent amount, and that'll give you the chance to hit that up the sideline. I think there's some opportunities there, and that's an easy read for Florida State's quarterback, where for Florida State, the way that they teach mesh, or shooter, uh, the way that they teach mesh, the rail is the first option. And I think they're going to hit that. It's an, that's one of those things I'd try to hit a couple times in this game. You you have to scheme it right. You have to hit it in the right situation. Know that they're going to be in man. To know what formation you're going to get the, the linebacker in coverage you want. But I think you can hit that. And I think you can hit it for a big play in this game. So uh, beyond that, I think, again, the emphasis is on patience. This is a game where you use the quarterback in the running game. You, I think Tater Brock, you get them. This this Louisville is very, very aggressive on the edge in terms of trying to get upfield both against the pass and also get crash inside against against any sort of run action. Several teams that they played, there was just no respect for the quarterback handing the ball off and quarterback keeps it there. And you're looking at 15 yards without being touched. I think this is a game where your quarterbacks are going to have to pull the ball some because they will crash against the run. They stop the run really, really well, down by down by down. And that's what they do. I mean, Louisville, they run the ball well with a bunch of big plays and they stop the run pretty well. Now, they'll give up big plays in the running game as well, but you have to be patient enough to do it. And that's the hard part. So to me, with how aggressive they are in the edge against the inside run, there's, there's opportunities for the quarterback to pull the football. And there's also some opportunities, if you hit it just right, there's opportunities for some reverses, different things like that, where you can hit a couple big plays. But again, you have, to, you have to hit it at the opportune time. That's where you got the eye upstairs saying, okay, now it's time. So I think in this game, you've got some opportunities to scheme up some big plays with the rail route on mesh with a nice timely reverse, you know, with one of your faster receivers getting the football. With some quarterback uh, quarterback run game, quarterback pulling the football, you're going to have some opportunities for some big plays there. And then I think you can get another big run or two if you can get the, the isolated one-on-one with the run fit against Cameron Kelly in the, in the running game. I think right there, that's 21 to 24 points. And I think that's probably enough. As long as you don't turn the ball over and you make them drive the field, and you tackle well in space and you you basically play defensively like you did against Florida, just get off the field a little bit better in that first quarter. I think you're, I think you're fine. So that to me is the plan. That's what Florida state's going to have to do. All right. So that leads us then to our conclusions, our overall stuff. So now look at this game. The first thing is I see Florida state's going to have to weather the storm. So, Louisville has been a really good first half team and an especially good first quarter team. Uh, they, they score, uh, they've scored, I think, nine of 12 games in the, uh, on the uh, on the first drive. They score a lot of touchdowns early and they average 8.2 points per game in the first quarter. It's 18th in the country. Florida State, by the way, is 37th at seven points in the country uh, uh, points per game. Now, for what it's worth, that's 18th in the country in the first quarter. Louisville's in the 40s and 50s in each of the other three quarters in terms of points per, per quarter. So they come out guns blazing in the first quarter. That first drive, they set the table, and they'll they'll score a bunch there. If Florida State keeps them out of the end zone on the first two drives, it's a great sign for this game. Now, the other thing is that they only allow 1.9 points per game in the first quarter. So they're usually up 8-2 to two. In the first quarter, you know, basically seven, nothing. That's 1.9 yard uh, points per per quarter allowed uh, in the first quarter is sixth in the country. Now, for what it's worth, the last three games, they've given up 4.7 points per first quarter. So a little bit more. For what it's worth, Florida State is ninth in the country at 2.5 points per game allowed in the first quarter. So it's strength against strength in terms of defense against offense there. Florida State's not been as good on offense, though, in terms of scoring in the first quarter. But, you know, I think Louisville in terms of once you get out of that first quarter, they've faded down the stretch a little bit in some games. You, know, you look at the UK game last week and, you know, Kentucky was able ultimately to wear them down up front. They were able to wear them down and get a few big plays in the, in the running game once that once that game got close again. So to me, you got to weather that early storm. If you can get stops on those first couple drives and and force them to play from even all game, then this game really turns in your favor. But to me, if you get to half within a score, you're down seven at the half. That's okay. You just don't want to be down 17 at the half. Let the depth in the running game start to wear them down. That's going to require that you get stops. That's going to require you get your defense off the field and that you stay patient with the running game. But to me, you've got to let your depth and your running game start to wear them down as the game goes, goes on. So you've got to be disciplined, tackle well, get off the, de- the field on defense and just play old school football. Start pounding them, body blows. So the keys to me from that point forward. So for number one, weather the storm. Number two, on defense, don't give up cheapies. This is an offense that will scheme up guys wide freaking open. You cannot let that happen. Your safeties have to be very, very good in in managing and communicating where the defense needs to be. You have to assess what weird formational stuff they're doing. You have to do a great job of matching. Don't give up cheapies. And then the offense just has to be patient and not turn it over. If you don't turn the ball over in this game, I think you win the game. In a lot of ways, this is similar to the Florida game going in. Now, if you start as badly as you did in the first quarter against against Florida, I think this Louisville team is much more of a threat in terms of their offense and and can beat you. And I do think this is going to be a battle because I think, you know, Jeff Braum is going to have some wrinkles in this game. It's going to be interesting to see which coach is able to hit the special teams trick play first and which coach is going to have the the. The play where everybody's just going, how did that guy get that open? How, how did they get that easy touchdown? Who, which, which one is going to get that? Or, you know, who's going to get it first? I do think this is going to be a battle, but ultimately, this is big game Norvell. And I expect him to have a few wrinkles up his sleeve. I think this is another game where you're going to see, you know, maybe a special teams trick play. Like what you saw with the the uh, onside kick against Miami, with the fake punt against Florida. These are plays that didn't actually work because of a couple of mistakes, but each of them was in position and perfectly schemed and perfectly called. I think you're going to see something like that again. I think Florida State's going to get this done. I think you're going to see uh, Tater Brock play well enough at quarterback. They won't turn it over too much. And again, I think the magic number here is 24 points. As long as Florida State doesn't turn it over, you know, two, three times, I think you score 24 points, you probably win this football game. And I think they're going to score 27. So I'm going to go with Florida State winning this game, but I think it's a one score win. I think I'm going to go with Florida State 27, Louisville 20. And, you know, it's not going to be a comfortable outing. It's going to be an interesting one and be very interesting to see what's going on with uh, a quarterback for Florida State. I mean, if Jordan Travis is playing in this game, I, I think you'd feel comfortable. I'd feel comfortable with Florida State winning this game by 17 plus. Because with what he can do on the edge and, and his legs and all of that, uh, you know, you'd feel really comfortable with with some of the things that he can do to take advantage of of some of those areas. And you again, you make you expect him not to turn the football over. But I, I think I'm I, I feel pretty comfortable even with with a guy like Brock Glenn. You know, even though he's a freshman, I think Glenn is a guy that is unlikely to to have a rash at turnovers. I think he'll protect the football if it comes to that. Uh and you know, Rodamaker has has good legs uh if you you know get him on the edge he can he can run not a not a natural guy to uh to do it when the play breaks down but a guy that can run uh if you if you ask him to pull it so i think they're going to have enough at the quarterback position in this game and um yeah i i think that's that's really where a lot of this is going to come down to and again win and you're in and you get the opportunity to rep those guys that much more going into the uh going into the college football playoff where, you know, to be totally honest, I mean, I might feel the most comfortable with Brock Glenn of any of the quarterbacks on this roster uh, going into the into college football playoff game. But again, right now, you, you just got to win this one before you can even get there. So it's going to be interesting. Like I said, I've got Florida State winning 27-20. But a whole lot of unknowns in this game. Talk to you all after it. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts, post and repost episodes on social media, and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate and... In the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this.